we need leaders at every level. You need to have a backstep firefighter be just as much of a leader as you do the company officer riding the front seat as much as you have the shift commander or the, or the, or the motor pump operator. You need to have all those people who have that ability to lead. The New Hampshire Fire Academy and EMS presents the Kitchen Table Conversation Podcast. Our discussions are with fire chiefs, officers, and industry experts. They cover a wide range of topics relevant to daily life and work in today's fire and EMS service. Well, welcome to the Kitchen Table Conversation Podcast. Today we're joined by Chief Troy Ruggles from the Burlington Fire Department. Yes. I keep wanting to say St. Johnsbury, but Chief, we'll get into the, this in your life in a second, but what's been the biggest change in the fire service uh, since you joined? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I would say technology. Technology has improved a lot of pieces of equipment that we're using now that we didn't have when I first got on the job from probably, I would say thermal imaging cameras is, is probably one of the bigger things that I've seen uh, in, in my career. Uh, you know, obviously gas meters and then use of the science that we're using now on uh, some of the things that we were taught or learned when we first became firefighters. Uh, so many years ago that science has proven some of those tactics and some of those techniques uh, weren't really the way we thought, uh, but they were on the best information we had at the time and how that's changing, how that's, how that's improved uh, our tactics, uh, how we're approaching fires, and, and ideally keeping people safer. So, so um, Well, the, the, the natural follow-up was going to be, is that good or bad? Well, I think it's... Um, I don't think it's either. I think it's. I think what's interesting, at least in my perspective, is some of the things that we're we're seeing, we're doing, or have learned. Some of it's science-based, so I think that's that's good, and I think that helps us, uh, at least for me, uh, to say it's been proven. We, you know, with the NIST studies, uh, with all the all the test fires they've done, and they've been able to put the. Um, the technology into showing what our, our movement is, our air, our temperatures. Um, you can't argue with that. I do believe that a, a fire, a building fire, is still an unknown when you go to it because there's so many factors that go into whether the building, the, the weather, uh, all of those things uh, never make it exactly. But um, some of the things we're, we're still promoting now are stuff that Lloyd Lehman talked to us about or, or taught years ago. And, and so when you go back and look at his books and read some of his, uh, some of his chapters, it's the same stuff that's coming out now as, sure. as new information, and it's and, not. And you just sent a whole couple generations of firefighters back to Google to Lloyd right. Lehman. As they should, yeah. uh, quite frankly. They should because uh, the information you know, that, we, that I was taught uh, came from folks like him. Uh, the, the Brannigans and the Duns and all of those folks, it's all still good information. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the important pieces that they're passing, that they have passed along to us, still need to be applied in today's uh, fireground. Now, uh, do you think that some of that, you know, this unknown, right? Every fire is different. Uh, I've, my experience is that you, what's yours, is that a crutch for some? firefighters, fire chiefs to be resistant to change? I think, it's a, I think it's a crutch, and I think all of us that have been in the job more than the 20, uh, 30 years, we can, we can fall back on that as a crutch. But if you want to stay, uh, stay a firefighter in this occupation, in today's fire service, 
you can't use a crutch. You have to, you have to, you have to um, stay abreast of, of changing technology, new information, new tactics, which are really sometimes some of the old tactics, you know, back to basic tactics that we've learned uh, and, and we still need to pass along. One of the things that always bothers me is we have, uh, as, as we all start to reach that certain point in time where we may, may want to be thinking about retirement like what we were talking about earlier today, um, I get a little bit bothered by that because when you start taking a large number of our firefighters who are nearing that retirement age that may be choosing to move on, we're losing that experience. We're losing that, that instinctual nature that we that firefighters had, that members had that from going to fires. And, and fortunately, right, it's a good thing. Uh, the number of fires that people are going to today is a lot less than what we may have gone to in the past, and they don't have that instinctual na nature, sure. good or bad. But the fires are different and, today. And the fires are different. And, and when you don't have that, that experience and, and that instinctual nature that comes from going to fires, it, it, it hinders us and it puts us in jeopardy. So, Chief, give me a, this is in your life. This is your life. This is my life. Um, <clears throat> well, it's actually pretty simple. Um, for as long as I can remember, um, uh, since I was a kid, uh, I think uh, I still have an old recording that my mother took of me, uh, audio recording of four years old, saying I wanted to be a firefighter. I was influenced, like so many of us were, by by emergency, and and I never <laughs> lost that passion. I still have. I still have that passion today as I did when I was a kid. So um, in the community that I, that I still live, uh, I grew up and uh, I, I always paid attention to what the fire department was doing. I always uh, had a scanner as soon as I could have and, and I started buffing fires before I knew what buffing fires was by riding my bike, uh, having my parents take me to fires. And um, I became a real pain in the butt uh, at the local fire department where uh, I started hanging out, and uh, eventually they made me a junior member uh, when I was 16 years old, um, and I stayed right there. Uh, I was fortunate. I, I graduated from high school with the aspirations of wanting to be a firefighter, and uh, within, within a few months of graduating, I was, I was hired into the fire department, and I, and I served 30 34 years uh, working in St. Johnsbury, um, working up to, to fire chief. Um, so uh, I've met a lot of great people. I had a lot of great officers. I worked with a lot of great firefighters. Uh, we went to a lot of fires, um, some good, some not so good. Um, but I gained so much experience uh, from that. Uh, I, I started teaching uh, uh, at the fire academies uh, to again because I had that passion and I, I, I became very involved in uh, both the Vermont Fire Academy, eventually becoming involved at the New Hampshire Fire Academy, learning and meeting just a, a number of people that are just, I still enjoy uh, being around and uh, those same people that are that passionate. Um, after serving a number of years in St. Johnsbury, I had the opportunity to to apply and uh, take a position for the tra as the training chief in the city of Burlington, and, and that's where I've been for the last four years. And again, great department, great group of firefighters, um, having a blast. I, I enjoy that. I still enjoy getting out and teaching uh, in the academies because it keeps me involved and it keeps me up to date on the new information that's coming out that we all have to, regardless of our number of years, we have to be uh, a part of and, and be involved in. So we talked about. Uh, 
technology changes in the fire service. So you've been training firefighters for a number of years now. What's been the biggest change in the firefighters in the last 5, 10, 15 years? Um, how to keep them engaged. Um, I think when, certainly when I, I remember going to classes where, where you were preparing as an instructor, you were preparing handouts, you were preparing hard copies of, of things you found in magazines, things you found in, in trade journals, uh, manuals, and you were bringing hard copies. You were passing along hard copies of things to people. And when you were telling people to look things up, I remember going to the National Fire Academy and going to the Learning Resource Center and, and actually having to go in, look through the materials, or putting in a request to the Learning Resource Center at the National Fire Academy and having them send boxes of, of copied material that they had from information they had at the National Fire Academy. That's changed. You don't have to do that anymore. You, when, you, when you're teaching firefighters today, you have to, you have to be on your game. You have, to, you have to teach them pertinent information that they will, in the midst of a class, be looking up. They, when you use a word like Lloyd, or a name like Lloyd Lehman, or you use a word about um, uh, anything, thermal, uh, thermal layering or flow pass, and uh, they're looking it up. And, and they have instant access to so much information, most of which is probably good, but I get a little concerned when, when you see some of the information that's out, that's out there that firefighters are watching or, or using, and, and every day is something new. So where we try to teach a basic concept, a basic technique of whether it be host stretches or throwing ladders or whatever it might be, Students now can go online and learn what they're doing in every part of the world on, on different techniques, and they get they get so many different or so many different options that it's they, I'm not so sure they're perfecting any one particular one, uh, but tomorrow it's going to be something different, so they think they have to go to that. So that becomes a challenge for us in, in getting their skills down. And there's nothing uh, that takes the place of repetition. Uh, of doing things uh, continually until you can't do them wrong, um, and hard work, and, and, and the determination to just continually get better. Um, but we can't do that by putting ourselves in front of an iPad or a phone. You've actually got to get out, get physical, and do it. Um, and, and, and I think getting those new firefighters stimulated to get physical and get out and do things is a challenge because we've gone from being a physically motivated society to being a probably a rather lazy society where we're sitting behind desks, sitting behind computers and getting all our information. Digitally driven. Digi yeah, I mean, it's, and, it, and, I, and I can see that effect in firefighters um, because they, they want to be able to read about it, they want it to be able to, you know, whether it be play, use their PlayStation, I don't even know what the, the latest games are now, but, um, and, it's, and it's, I think it's gonna, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. At, at, at moments I get concerned when I see some of the newer firefighters coming in and yet, I, I am pleased because uh, just in, in, in our department alone, I've seen some great new firefighters, great new recruit firefighters coming in, that they're driven, they're physically motivated, they're mentally motivated. And uh, so just when you think, man, what's going on um, with, with this generation? You know, I think this newer generation gets blamed for a lot of things, <laughs> blamed for a lot of things, yet... What I think we really need to do as the fire service uh, is we need to change the way we're delivering the information to them, not try to, we, for, for a few, few years, we were trying to change the student 
to come and absorb and learn our way of teaching. And in fact, we have in our department we've switched that. We've changed our delivery uh, to meet to meet their needs. So that that that's I, I can't tell you, Chief. I'm glad you said that. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with fire chiefs that say, Chief, look, we're not the demographic, right? right. We're, we're our age, and they were all, unfortunately, they've always been younger than me. Right, but, yeah. Uh, you know, Chief, we're, we're not our demographic. Yeah. We're, we can't design programs for us. That's correct. Our, our days are gone. That's exactly They're right. They're past. Yeah. We have to find a way to reach these kids. Students, can't call them kids, right? right. Sorry, sorry, kids. I mean students, right? Uh, in a way that they're most comfortable with, and they're ready to, to absorb the information. And, and the best way we found to do that is ask them. We, we've, um, in, in, in the Burlington Fire Department, we've we, we modified, we changed our recruit academy. But we based it based upon the input that we were getting from the students that had gone through previous academies of that, of that age group. And we said, what can we do to make this better? What can we do to get this information so that it sinks in? The other interesting thing that, that we did that was... We had become, uh, the fire service has become, we always, the fire service was always claimed to be the paramilitary organization. And I think, I think we are to a certain extent. However, we've lost some of that. Um, a, because the number of people that, that served in the military, uh, you know, there's not as many of those in the fire service now. So we don't see that, that, that discipline. Um, but what we found in, when we were talking to our, our recruits and our new folks coming in is they wanted that structure. They wanted that discipline. They wanted to be driven. They wanted to be held accountable. They wanted to uh, be given uh, goals, be given objectives. They wanted us to push them to meet those. So um, we, we changed. We kind of went back to the old school um, Within, within reason and within, within respect uh, uh, to the candidates or to the recruits. And, and they, they have, they have they've, they've done great. They've, they've really uh, proven themselves um, and have met the challenge and they're doing, and they're doing great. So, and they, but, it, but the information they gave us is that's what they wanted. Challenge us, you know, hold us, you know, hold us accountable. And, and we've done that. So, we talk about in uh, leadership and the leadership in the fire service. And the, in my day, uh, it wasn't so much about practicing leadership at every level, uh, but leadership occurs at every level. So do these young firefighters now, these young recruit firefighters, do they get that? Do they understand that? That they have an opportunity, even though as a recruit firefighter, they have an opportunity to demonstrate leadership characteristics and traits? Um, I'm not sure if they know it. I think it's our responsibility to impress that upon them. Um, just, in the, just in the office of class that we're, we're doing now, one of the things that I always like to make sure to tell firefighters is we know that you're not going to be an officer on day one. It's going to take you some time. It's gonna, you're going to have to earn that. But the day you decide you might want to become a fire officer, you need to start acting like an officer. And, and acting like an officer, a lot of people misconstrue that. doesn't mean you have to be the one always barking orders. It doesn't have to be the one you're always telling somebody else what to do. It's, it's being respectable, uh, doing your job, doing it well, um, 
and, and being that person that's always the first one to get up and get the job done, regardless of what it is, whether it be cleaning the firehouse or stretching a line or doing it within the confines of command and control. And I think it's important that we tell firefighters, young firefighters coming in, that um, your ability to be a leader is going to show through, whether you like it or not. Um, and there are some people who just have that natural ability to do that. And I think they need to, um, they need to, to prosper with that. They need to, to work on that. And then those that may not have it as much, I think it, you need to help them uh, um, work with it. You need to help them you know, nurture that within themselves and, and give them that ability to, to be that. But um, we need leaders at every level. You need to have a backstep firefighter be just as much of a leader as you do the company officer riding the front seat as much as you'd have the shift commander or the, or, the, or the motor pump operator. You need to have all those people have that ability to lead because you never know. One of, one of the key things they, they, they always uh, teach you, and I was never in the military, um, but I've learned from people who were, is if I'm the platoon sergeant, I gotta make sure that my number two person is equally as capable of running the platoon as I am because if I get taken out, somebody's got to be able to continue to lead and, and move forward. And, and that's exactly right. If the, if the captain or lieutenant, the company officer, is no longer able to function in that capacity, you need to be able to step up. Step up. And we need, to, we need to impress upon firefighters that at some point in time, right, you may have to make some decisions quickly that, that are going to have a direct um, impact on your safety or, or those around you. So, are, are leaders born or are they made? Yes, <laughs> I think they are. I think I, I, I can, in my opinion, I think uh, leaders. There are some natural leaders that there are people who, just by their nature, just by uh, whatever, they just have that natural ability to lead. And whether they whether they know it or not, I think they have that ability to lead. But do I believe leaders can be made? Yeah, I do. I, I think with the right uh, nourishment, uh, mental nourishment, with the right guidance, with the right uh, mentors, um, I think uh, people can be uh, brought up to be leaders. And it's really what we need. Uh, I, I'm, I, I've always tried to uh, portray myself and be a more of a leader than a manager um, because I just feel that's what we need more of. We need more people stepping up and, and leading the charge. Um, than you know, trying to corral and manage and, and what have you. So yeah, and you can you can tell you can tell you can take a group of firefighters, uh, put them in the drill yard, put them in a firehouse, and and you can easily within a, a, a whether it be a few minutes or a few hours find out who some of those natural leaders are just by the, just how they handle themselves and handle those around them. So is leadership an art or a science? I think um, again, not to not to give you a, a straight answer, but I think it's I think it is an art. There are some people who who are leaders that do it in such a way that it is uh, flawless. That it is that is not. They don't have to work hard at it. It's just their natural tendency, and that, in in my sense, comes across as a more of an artful manner in which they are able to deliver that. But is there a science to it? I think there are. I think there are some techniques. I think there are some methods that you can look back in history and look at some of our, our past leaders or even those that were not identified as leaders and look at how they handled themselves, how, how they delivered it based upon what they learned 
uh, from the people that were around them to utilize, um, you know, different uh, techniques to get people to do things, to get things accomplished, to meet objectives. Whether you're talking about learning uh, to be a fire instructor, to be a fire officer, we talk about, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, and when you look at that type of information uh, that, that he presented so many years ago, and now there are some out there that will say Maslow had it messed up, as there are with anything. But when you look at just that little piece of, of information that, that he presented, and then you look at the influences that different things have on people and how you can motivate those people or get those people to go in a direction, there may be some science involved in that for sure. Is there a more important function of a leader than to take care of their people? Well, um, I guess the only thing I would, I would top that one with is taking care of themselves. I think if, they're, if, if you have a leader that's taking care of themselves, uh, mentally and physically, that that is going to allow them to take care of their people mentally and physically. But quite frankly, when you as a leader are taking care of your people, that's the most important thing, right? Keeping them safe, keeping them prepared, keeping them ready. They'll do anything they they'll do anything you ask of them. And everything and and for the most part everything else becomes just that much easier. And there are those that take that taking care of your people and translate it to you know, always say yes. But taking care of your people doesn't mean always saying yes. Sometimes you need to say no, and some, sometimes the answer is no. That, that's right. Um, it's no different than, than taking care of your family or taking care of your kids. Um, I, I, I take a different approach, perhaps, than, than some. Um, I love my kids. I do anything for them, and, and, and those are you know, two of the people that you don't mess with in my life, two of, two of you know, above and beyond my, my wife. But, but um, when you take care of them, it's telling them no and, and, and holding them to be, to be accountable um, because sometimes the best thing you can teach them is telling them no. And I think if you can apply that same um, method to your firefighters or your, or your members that you're responsible for, sometimes they need to know that no is the answer. Um, you know, I always, I always try, you know, you, you try not to be the educator every single day of your life, right? But you can do it in, in subtle ways, and you're hoping that when you're, when you're having these conversations with, with firefighters uh, or other officers or, or what have you, that, you know, you're not always trying to, you know, get a point across, but you're always trying to say, okay, have we thought about this, right? One of the things I always try to say to, to firefighters is, does it pass the straight face test? If this, was, if this was you and you were in this position, does it pass the straight face test? Because that's the first thing we got to get past is, can you look in the mirror and tell yourself that this is good or this is not good? And, and you got to prove it, prove it to yourself first, and then... It kind of, it's kind of like, how do you take care of people? Well, you take care of yourself first, right? You make sure that you're good. Well, did it, did it pass a straight face test with you? Because if, 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 it's not, if it's not setting well with you, how do you expect to get that across to somebody else? Well, Chief, I, I have to ask. Uh, so we've turned a few pages in the calendar. And I don't know about your experience, but more often than not, I tend to be, no matter what group I'm in, not every group, but no matter what group I'm in, I've turned more pages than a lot of the other people that I'm sitting down having this conversation with. Uh, and I agree completely that, you know, there's something to be learned in every situation and every environment. Uh, 
but not to be the education educator, I think you said. Now, don't be the educator all the time. Is that hard for you? Yes. Um, probably because I take so much pride in, in, in what I do um, in the fire service, right? Um, I enjoy being that, ins that instructor. I enjoy uh, being able to pass. I think it's important that, that uh, those firefighters that have been around um, for all those years that, that to share your experience, to pass that along. But every once in a while, it's okay for, for people to figure it out themselves. I think that's how you learn best is when you make mistakes. Or, but to be able to um, just sit back and let it, let, let, let it run its course to see so they can see. And then and I've had firefighters come back and, and ask me, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me this was going to turn out this way? And it's because then you wouldn't have it wouldn't have sank in as, as much as it did when by learning it for yourself right um, and so it is hard but um, I think sometimes it's best that you do it that way but I also think there's opportunities for us whether it be at the coffee table at the kitchen table in the firehouse on the apparatus floor in the firehouse where you can interject some words of wisdom if you will some experiences um, in, in, a, in, a, in a manner which allows them to think about it and at least maybe influence their decisions, right, or influence their actions. And, and you know, the only thing, you know, when you're, when you're thinking of yourself as a fire officer or a fire instructor or, or just a person, you're right, you're hoping that whatever you pass along to somebody, uh, regardless of the, how much time they have in the fire service, you're hoping that one day, right, They'll something will happen or something will occur, and they'll say, "I remember what they said. I remember, and and this has helped me." And that's happened a couple times, and 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 and, and so that's that's rewarding uh, to be able to think that you've been able to influence something. Um, but every once in a while, you just gotta you, you just try to be the 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 normal guy, if you will, and, and not have to try to not always try to you know be that educator. So we kind of wandered into leadership. So what is the Troy Rucker Ruggles leadership model? Um, to be the leader, right? To try to be, uh, to, to be the first one to step out and, and either show something, do something, but also to let people um, learn for themselves. Um, it, it's very interesting. Um, because again, when you're when you're an educator, I don't I don't necessarily call myself an educator. I, I'm a I'm a fire instructor, and, and I know that's educating. But um, I've got this I've got this senior guy, senior lieutenant that I that I work with, and, and we're good friends. And and um, he'll always tell me he says you've got to stop being a micromanager. It's like I'm not a micromanager, and he's busted my tail a little bit. But he says, well, then you just got to let us do do our thing, and, and I'm thinking to myself, well, to a certain degree, he's right, because the instructor in me feels that i got to be there, and I've got to instruct or guide or, 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 or oversee, and, and he's like, just let us do it. Just let us do our thing, and, and that's what I always, have always tried to do is just do it. Figure it out. Do it yourself. Try something new, and let them, let them learn for themselves, but to be there, I always like to be, you know, that 
that last person in the line, that right, to make sure that they've got what they need, to make sure they're learning. And every once in a while, you got to let them fail. Every once in a while, you got to let bad things occur. But that can happen on those on those non-life-threatening, non-risk types of things. I think when the time is in a situation where you're at a high-risk, right, uh, event where where we need that experience, where we need that skill, then you need to be the boss. You need to be that leader, and you need to step up, and you need to do your job. Um, and I learned that um, I learned that from uh, from Leo Stapleton. I, I happened to have a conversation with him uh, uh, one time years ago, and we were talking about his his obviously his his great career. But he said, the most important thing you got to remember about being the boss is to be the boss, right? you got to remember that that's what they're paying you to do. They're paying you to be the boss. And you need to make sure that everybody um, around you, that when you're telling them to be the boss, they need to be the boss. When you're a lieutenant, you got to be the lieutenant. When you're the captain, you got to be the captain. Um, yep. That's your job. That's what we're expecting of you. And quite frankly, that's what people want from you, is that in these times is for you to step up and be the boss, make decisions, and to do your job. But at times where you don't need to, allow the members to, to get things done and to accomplish things. And that comes with a certain level of trust, right? You need to make sure the people that, you're, that you have around you and, and that are doing you know, this certain level of trust that you have for them, but also that they have for you. Because when you have that level of trust, it's like I said earlier, there's nothing that people will not do for you. They'll, they'll go to hell and back for you um, if they trust you and they, uh, they have a certain level of respect for you. So for those that are listening and they're Googling, right, Chief Stapleton, and I'll give you an opportunity to talk about books later, yeah. but uh, 30 Years on the Line, a great, yeah, great, a great, a great, great read. A little bit dated sure. uh, somewhat now, but a uh, great, great, great book. I, I never had the opportunity to talk with uh, Commissioner Stapleton. I, I did have the opportunity to meet him once, but, uh, and unfortunately, we lost him recently. Yes, so. a phenomenal guy. I, I, yeah, true, true stuff. I've read, uh, I've read his stuff, yeah. but uh, a great, great guy. So, Chief Magic Wand, talking about fire officers now. What's one trait that you wish that you could impart on every fire officer? I would say um, the trait of being passionate about the occupation, to be passionate about the fire service. And when you are passionate about the fire service, that is all-inclusive to firefighters, being passionate about firefighters because we are uh, a different breed of people. And, and, and I can say that because I've been one for my entire adult life, and I know we're different. Um, we, how we handle things is different. The environment that we operate in is different. Be passionate about that. Be passionate about the fire service life, the firehouse life. The, the life outside of the firehouse, be passionate about that. That includes your family. Um, but to be, to be in, to be all in, to be, to be that person that other people want to be around. And, 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 to, and, and the way you do that is to immerse yourself in it, to get involved. Now, that's not to say that you don't take that time to step away and, and, and have that downtime from it, for sure, but... Of all, the, of all the fire service leaders and of all the, the people that I consider to be mentors uh, over my career, those, have, those people have been immersed in it. They, have, they, they, are, they are passionate about it. They are passionate about 
and love being known as a firefighter. That's the most proudest, you know, one of the proudest things, you know, to, to be is known as a firefighter, right? That's why, not being a fire chief, not being anything, it's being a firefighter. I, I, and and that's, that is one of the proudest things, right, that I could be because I'm into it. I'm, in, I'm, I'm into it. Sometimes too much. Um, but when you're into it and when you're all in, when you, when you are immersed in the occupation um, that, that we are in, that it just emanates from you, and 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 your 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 firefighters that that you are working with, are a team with, will just they'll just eat it up, and they'll and they'll they'll absorb it with you, and you can pass that passion along to them, because it's more, as as many don't, or at least I hope no, it's more than just going to work. It's more than just you know the big red fire trucks and, and all of that is it's just being a firefighter and being immersed in that uh, and that and the life of a firefighter is just it's immeasurable it's just un unbelievable so you feel free to share one of your mentors well um, Mike Clark uh, Captain Clark has been a mentor since I was a kid I used to I used to go to the firehouse with him uh, in Hanover when I was just a kid. Bob Fitz, uh, Robert Fitz was, uh, was one. Uh, he was a retired deputy. Uh, he's passed away, a retired deputy out of Lebanon, uh, New Hampshire. Ray Davison uh, uh, from City of Virgins. Um, an old captain of mine, Howard Gieselman, was a mentor. He's probably, uh, I worked with him uh, on shift and he was probably the, the one guy that, that uh, a, it got me to enjoy living in a firehouse, being that the firehouse family, how, how we can have fun in the firehouse, but when the bell hits, uh, the seriousness that you have to take, but also to how much fun you can have uh, off-duty, off right, uh, part of the firehouse family. Um, and above and beyond family, you know, you know your, your father always becomes a mentor. There are some family members who always become mentors, but those are... Those are some, you know, some key folks um, that have, and that I still to this day, kind of follow their lead in, in how they've done things. But they've made such an impression in me on, on how to, how to, how to be not only as a firefighter but as a person. For me, it's it's a name we share. Some oftentimes, and I find it true, more true today than ever before. I hear Bob Simon in my head. Sure, oftentimes. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, there's so many, there's, again, when you've been in this business long enough and you immerse yourself in the fire service, I've got friends all over the, all over the country, right, right. of firefighters. And, 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 and the brother and sisterhood that, that we all share is just unbelievable. And I'm not telling anybody, you know, something they don't already know, but to think you could pick up the phone or stop in any city anywhere and, and, and walk into a firehouse and be accepted and, and, and it's just... Unbelievable. Yeah. You talk about immersion and family and all that. Are we doing a better job in the fire service now? Are we doing a better job on work-life balance? Um, <clears throat> I guess that would have to be, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's been a change, or I've seen a change. Um, it used to be at least... Uh, what, the way I perceived it is that our work-life balance is that when you were on the job, when you were in the firehouse, 
when you are not on shift on your days off, you're usually doing something with your shift or other members of the fire department. There was a lot more off-duty camaraderie that, that seemed to occur. The wives knew one another, the kids knew one another, and there were picnics, there were summer parties, there were things that, that went on. And so I'm not so sure that was a good balance, but that's just what we did. And that's, you know, it was, there were always uh, several parties that, or, or get-togethers uh, that you would always have in the firehouse. And it seems like that is weaned because part of it I think, maybe, I'm not certain, um, is that we wanted to separate our, our work life. The, the stressors that are being placed on firefighters today, are, some are the same, some are different, right? I think there's, there's so many things we could, we could spend hours talking about that firefighters are having to respond to today that we've never had to respond to. I, I never thought that I would see in my career, you know, us having to wear ballistic vests and, and tactical gear for going into hot, hot environment. The only hot environment we ever had to talk about was a hazmat incident. Now it's because of active shooters. And so there's those stressors. So I think, I think when we think about our shifts, the average citizen thinks our shifts allow us for that time away. But um, it doesn't because some of the stuff it takes longer than that to erase from your from your mind and some of it will never be erased and I think you know finding that balance and, and providing the services that we need so that people can find that balance are crucial um, but the, the individual the firefighter has to be able to find that balance for themselves we can we as a as an agency we as a department as the fire service, we can we can we can say here's what we think you should do. Here's what you here's the direction you should go. But it's up to the individual. The individual needs to find that balance for themselves. And and I know it's uh, it, it's arguably a difficult thing. Uh, you know we're facing a, a a problem in our department currently with you know f forced overtime, mandatory overtime uh, because of a variety of things. And the last two years have been tough on everybody with the COVID. And we have a lot of firefighters not getting that good balance because they're, they're you know, working 48s and 72s and, and they're just not getting enough downtime in between. So in that respect, we're not doing a very good job. But I think, I think individually, you know, firefighters have, have got to be able to find a way of shutting it off. You know, we used to get together and, and, and the families would be together. I don't see as much of that happening. And, and again, it, it, you know, it's, it, it may be, you just don't see it as much, but... I think there's got to be a little bit of self-discipline to, to separate yourself sometimes. Some would say I have no balance because I'm, I'm you know, I'm always, everything I do um, is centered around my, my occupation. So I may not have that good balance. My, you know, my wife is always saying that that's all you, all, that's all you do. You know, you, you, you don't, you don't have a good balance and she's probably right, but I, how I choose to, deal with it might, might differ than how somebody brand new in the business, and, and I think it's an individual thing that everybody's got to find. So you can't force it on them. People need to um, do some self-discipline you know, self to sure. accept it. And, and I often think, and I've said many times over the years, I think the work-life balance is, is a myth. Yeah. Because right? you're going to, pie's only so big, you can't, if you're going to steal from one, eventually you gotta, you're going to Right, there's there's a constant tug there. That's right. Now that being said, I think I do a better job today than I've ever done before on understanding the the demands 
putting too much emphasis on one side and not enough on the other side. Right. No, but it's a it's a personal choice. It it's is. an individual and, and, choice. And some, uh, firefighters have never liked to be forced to do anything, and and and, and nobody does. But there's got to be the importance of it and the understanding of it. Uh, each firefighter has to know for themselves because. You can have firefighters that, that work a tour of duty or work several tours of duty where they have, you know, the activity level is low or the, 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 the types of incidents they go to is, are not that strenuous. And then you could have somebody that works one or two uh, and, and see some, some of the most terrible things that, that we could ever think of. And, um, and, and so it's, it's, it's that balance. It, it's an individual thing that each firefighter has to figure out, sure. you know, for themselves. Or it may not be that one scene that's horrific, but, I mean, you're, you're running just all day long. Right. So it's, yeah. you know, and it, there's the culmination of things there. So thinking back on your career, uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned? What's your biggest takeaway? Well, it would be easy to say expect the unexpected. Um, that's still a pretty good lesson, but um, boy, that's a, that's a really good question. I would say um, it's not always as it seems, I guess. Um, and that can apply for everything, whether you're responding to a fire or dealing with problems inside the firehouse, you know, get the full picture. So what you may see, right, as you, as you get in, it may not always be the way it truly is. And, and that comes with, you know, getting, getting, you know, good information. Um, and, and there's always another part to it, another side to it, another, uh, you know, it's multidimensional, right? So you've got to be able to, what you see when you first arrive, what you see when you first walk into a firehouse is not always the way it probably is. And, and, and to just, you know, let it get as much intel on it as you can because, there have been there have been situations, both fire incidents, rescue incidents, dealing with things in the firehouse that your outward appearance is one thing. That but but by the time you, by the time you dig into it or or there thirty seconds longer, it's it's to go with that. But to go with that as well is always go with your gut, right? Um, your gut instinct, um, I think, is probably if I had you know thinking about it more is when your gut instinct is that is that culmination of experiences that you you get over a period of time and most of the time uh, your gut instinct is right you're, and again that can apply to whether it be the emergency scene or dealing with personnel problems or whatever is to follow your gut um, as much as you might want to follow your heart in this business, sometimes you got to follow your gut because that's probably going to be the most accurate one. And, and thanks for clarifying that because yeah. people get those confused. They do, um, and it's hard, especially when you when you are when you're an officer and you're dealing with personnel issues or personnel problems. Sometimes you know going with your heart is is going to mess you up it's going to it's it's not going to be the right thing and <laughs> and i and unfortunately in in my career there were a couple times where i went with my heart and i was i was wrong and i that was a hard lesson to learn um but um you know going with your gut expecting the unexpected are, i think are you know kind of go hand in hand but um to be prepared you know because your gut instinct most most of the time is going to be right 
So you've made mistakes. Absolutely. Every fire officer makes mistakes. Of course. Right? But as a young officer, we never want to. Nobody ever tries to make a bad decision, make a mistake. But the reality is, I mean, we're human, right? Correct. So we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. So. Well, one of the things you just mentioned there is you make a bad decision. I had an officer, uh, this, this Captain Gieselman, I, I mentioned his name. He, one of the things he would always say is, he says, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to make bad decisions, he says, but at least make a decision. He says, never get to an incident, never be at a situation where you don't make a decision. He says, right or wrong, make a decision. Um, instead of just not doing anything. There's nothing worse than being at a situation because, the, again, this goes back to another comment I made, is that if you're the lieutenant, if you're the captain, if you're the boss, your people that, that are with you are expecting you to make a decision. They want you, they're looking for you uh, to make that decision, to tell them what to do. To, now, in a well-oiled machine, in a, in a good fire company, a lot of times the fire officer doesn't have to say anything because everybody knows what's going on. But you have to make a decision. And yes, once in a while, it's going to be the wrong decision, and you can adjust from it. Uh, and once in a while, you're going to make the wrong choice, and you have to adjust for it. But what you have to be able to do is step up and say, I was wrong. Sure. Right? But that, but we got to balance that to what you said. you got to get all the, all the facts. Now, don't be afraid to make a decision. Now, I did have the opportunity to meet with uh, Chief Bernasini, and he, he always, his, he would say, don't, be in a hurry to make a bad decision. Correct. There's always time to make a bad decision. Right. Uh, so, you know, make decisions, but let's not be in a hurry. Let's not be in a rush to make a bad decision. One of the one of the greatest pieces I've learned, and I apply it for both uh, um, non-emergency situations as compared to emergency situations, is Gordon Graham's, you know, um, four boxes: high right. risk, low frequency, et cetera, yep. et cetera you know, that discretionary time, non-discretionary time. And is that when you have discretionary time on making a decision, take it. Take it. Once in a while, you don't. Uh, and you do have no discretionary time, and you do have to make a decision. And again, you're relying on your experiences. You're relying on that gut instinct um, to, to help you through. But when you have time, which is a good percentage of the things we do, take the time. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of like it's no different than telling somebody you never send a, a, a never send a message, never make a call, never send a text when you're mad. Right. Give it give it time because you can never take that stuff back. Yeah. I, I learned that 24 hour rule the hard way, <laughs> as so many of us do. Yeah. But, you know, so uh, and that's a, that's a conversation I have with young as I as some firefighters, as I've met young firefighters over the years. Uh, you know, that's the concept. Look, we live in a world where, in, in an occupation where sometimes you got to make decisions and you don't have a lot of that time. But most times, you do have the time. Yes. And especially if it's in the firehouse, you know, there's not a lot of things that happen in the firehouse that have to be answered, you know, right away. They're not emergent decisions. So Correct. However, our society with, with the instant access and instant communication that we all have is expecting you to make a decision. Uh, since I've been here, I've, I've received messages from, from members, all good questions, all legitimate questions, but they're looking for it. They, they want you to respond to it right now. 
and what I've learned is sometimes you can. Sometimes it's an easy yes or no. Other times you might want to think about it, right? You've got to give some time to think about it before you respond. And, and society is just not that way. It's, yeah. it's like, we gave you the phone. We gave you this. <laughs> we want to we, give me an answer Instant now. Access, we can't right? wait, right? Yeah, and I, and I look, I have a state hat on. I wear a state hat on. You know, sometimes the decisions we make as if we're as if we're making them as if we're still in the in the firehouse. Right. Uh, slow down. Take a deep breath. Some of these decisions we're making, or most of them are not life and death. Uh, but let's 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 take get some information to make our good decision. Right. You, you mentioned it. I'm going to ask you about it. What are your thoughts on recruitment and retention in the fire service today? It's tough. I've, again, one of those things that you'd, you'd never think uh, as a firefighter that I would see. I remember the days, um, you, you know, 20, 30 years ago, where you'd hear about jobs in, in the fire service and the, the number of applicants would be in the triple digits. Um, and when you look at Burlington Fire Department, where I'm at now, I remember years ago they would have two to three hundred applicants for one position, yeah. um, and and even in the smaller department in St. Johnsbury, I was we'd always have a couple dozen applicants for one or two positions, and now you know when you look around, at first I was thinking you know this is a this is our problem right this is maybe we're not doing something to attract right you know we're not we're not uh, that that attractive of an agency for these people to want to apply, and it's simply not that. When you when you talk around to, to different agencies, not all of them, but a, a lot of them, they're having that problem with people not finding the lure of the fire service and, and this occupation to be uh, apparently that favorable. Having said that, we, we've, drawn, we've drawn people in from other parts of the country who were looking for a, a change in life, a change in scenery, and that's what helped us draw them in uh, to, to New England to get them to take firefighting uh, positions or, or cho choosing that career. I think it's going to be a problem we're going to face for the next, well, probably forever. I think we have to, we, the fire service, we, we, I know some fire departments have done this, but we still advertise as looking for firefighter EMTs, firefighter paramedics, and it's all let off with firefighter, right? And and, and, and to my heart, that's what I am, right? We're all firefighters. But as we, as we go t through this, we know that a high percentage of our activity level is EMS, right? It, you know, 70 to 80% in a lot of agencies is EMS. Whether we start being more creative in what we call the positions, instead of referring to them as firefighter EMTs, we start referring to them as EMT firefighters or paramedic firefighters and putting more of the emphasis on what we do. Um, that's been discussed. It used to be we could lure them in with the idea of a, of a good benefits, a reasonable pension, and that might be enough to, to attract people to, to enter this occupation. I don't think that does it anymore. I don't think whether it's people don't put as much emphasis in it or they know that the type of pension plans that fire departments and municipalities used to have don't have them anymore so they can get a similar type pension or they're not even worried about pensions. Um, you know, so we've got to change our strategy because we are having difficulty in filling those positions. And, and, and 
I think what we need to do is we need to reboot. I think we as, a, as the fire service, we need to reboot. We need to talk to the people. One of the things that we, we just did in our department, and it wasn't anything that I was a, I was a part of it, I saw it, but it wasn't my idea, is, is we did a recruitment retention report. And we reached out to some of the people that chose not to come even after they applied and they were given the opportunity to come back for the interview or come back to take a position and they chose not to, we reached out to them in a voluntary manner and said, hey, why not? Can you tell us why? And we started learning, you know, and it, was, it wasn't because, ah, uh, you know, the fire department's no good and we don't want to come there. It has nothing to do with that. It, it was, you talked about work-life balance. It was them trying to figure out a good work-life balance and some will use the fire department because of its shift schedule because that gives them that work-life balance. But others were like, it just wasn't worth it. Um, you, might, you might think that pay was you know, one of the bigger things. It's like, oh, you didn't pay enough. And, and not too many of them uh, was it pay. Some of them were, for sure. But, um, but the other thing is people, <clears throat> what I just said was we're no longer just firefighters. We're everything. But more and more people are understanding the job that firefighters and EMS workers are doing in, in a lot of our communities, and it's being social workers is, is a lot of the a high percentage of the calls um, that we're responding to are dealing with people in crisis, um, mental health crises, drug addiction crises, other crises that our firefighters aren't trained to deal with. They need, they need social workers. They need they need a different level of response other than uh, the fire service, right, from an emergency pers perspective. In their mind, they're having an emergency, and they dial 911, and we, we understand that. But we may not be the best suited for what they're looking for or what they need at that particular time. Society hasn't figured that out yet. Now, in some communities, I'm sure they have, but not all. And so when people look at, at am I going to be able to go to fires every day? Am I going to be able to do go to... 911 emergencies every day, and when they find out that they don't, it may not be as appealing as what it once was. So, is to, to my mind, it, it's a part of the community risk reduction. It's a part of being, to me, the example I use is we have to be, we have to be in front of the right people more. We right. have to be in the schools. We and we can't just be in the schools in that one week in October. We have to have a presence. Yeah. Uh, We've got to show them what the job is and what it involves and what it entails and that it's inclusive, that there's That's diversity right. in it. That's right. Uh, you know, but I mean, we, right, we evolved into the fire service. Johnny and Rory pushed us to the fire service. That's right. Uh, but we're not seeing the same thing with, you know, Seattle Fire, you know, Station 19 and, you know, whatever, all that. Uh, we won't talk about the quality of those shows and right. the depiction of the fire service, but uh, you know, I think we need to do a better job. I think it's a, a long problem, but we got to do a better job selling our our trade, what we do, and how we do it, and why we do it. One of, one of the one of the things that, like I mentioned, we we reached out to some of the folks because we we had a period of uh, time uh, a couple of years ago where where some recruits that we hired, they came on the job, and before they completed probation, they chose to leave. And um, one, of the th one of the 
common themes from, was, from talking to them was it really wasn't what I expected. We did way more EMS calls than what I expected. That we did, we did more of this than what I expected. So to go back to your point, which I think is valuable, is we need to make sure they clearly understand what the, what the job is, what, what we're asking them to do, what they're being a part of. We've, we have taken, when I told you we revised our recruit academy, we spend um, a lot of time in our recruit academy on, on the first week making sure the people, because they're, they're all happy that they got the job, rightfully so. They're proud. They're, they they want to be there. And then we make sure they clearly understand, here's what it is like. Here's what the, 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 the job entails. This is, this is your life. This is how it this is how it's going to play out, because we want to make sure that they clearly know. But we still got to front load that by um, every opportunity we get to, to to tell people to talk about this great occupation, this great profession that we're all in, to make sure they understand this is what it's about. Has it had an impact? Are, are they are the ones that get through their recruit school staying longer? Well, we too early. Uh, too early. I think uh, we have. From the, from the first recruit class that we started this new program with, they're coming up on their one-year anniversary, and, and we had eight in that class, and we still have eight. And uh, we're just finishing up another recruit class uh, in the next couple weeks of five, um, which, inter interestingly enough, was supposed to be a recruit class of eight, but we weren't able to fill all the positions, so we were at five. So, that again, that's a challenge for us. Um, so... Um, too early to tell. We're, we're, we're positive, we're optimistic that we're, we're going to be able to retain them, and hopefully we will. Um, but it, it is a challenge for sure. What would Chief Ruggles, current day Chief Ruggles, tell newly promoted Lieutenant Ruggles? What advice would you give? Take care of your people, learn the job, learn the position uh, well learn the position of every firefighter you have and what you expect of them. Be prepared to say no. Be prepared to be the boss. Make sure they understand what your job is, what your responsibilities are. Spend time with them. Train with them. Don't seclude yourself from them. And be the first one to try something, when you, whether it be out on shift training, department training, um, engage them, challenge them, and help them make it to their next step. Help them get promoted. I think we have an, a responsibility, right? We have, uh, as we mentioned earlier, firefighters coming in. I think we have a responsibility as a, as a company officer to help them achieve success as well. Their successes are your successes, right? Um, and... Don't, like I said, don't be afraid to say no and, and to be the boss. Make sure they understand that you have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to take care of them, um, to maintain that unit cohesion, and, and to, be, to be into the job, you know, to be passionate. Not be afraid to say, I don't know. And when you do say, I don't know, find out. Help, you know, work with them. Help learn with them. A lot of people, a lot of people think that as soon as they they put a, a, a trumpet on their on their collar, that by virtue of that they're supposed to know everything, and that's not true. You don't have to know everything, right. um, and there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know. 
I'd much rather have you say I don't know than to tell them some other made-up answer. And probably, you know, and this is, this is all-inclusive for any officer, is that you have to earn their respect. Just because you wear that trumpet, whether it be one, two, three, or five, I don't care how many you wear, you have to earn the member's respect. It doesn't come automatically. And the minute you try to get it automatically, and the minute you think you've got it just because you wear uh, those trumpets, you're going to lose them. I've seen it happen. Uh, when, you, when you demand their respect versus earn their respect, you lose it in, in so many ways. And uh, sometimes you lose it where you don't even know you've lost it. On, on, and and it's, 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 really, it's really too bad. It's tragic, right? when you have that occur, but, um, and don't stop learning. Every opportunity you have to learn, continue to learn, because hopefully you're, you know, there's nothing, and, and, I've, and, and this is a, probably a little bit of a contradiction, but I've known people that have been firefighters their entire career, and they've had very productive, very rewarding careers, and they're just as much a leader as a senior firefighter as a 20, 25 year, 30 plus year firefighter than any other fire officer has ever been. And there's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. I think you can have a successful fire service career as a firefighter. There's nothing wrong with that. Great. The same thing with, I, I, have, I have lieutenants that I, that I talk to that I know would be great captains, would be great future fire chiefs. And they say, listen, I'm very happy being a lieutenant. I can be a great lieutenant. And I said, you are a great lieutenant, and you should continue to be a great lieutenant. There's nothing that says you have to strive for another bugle or, you know. There's nothing that says being a fire chief is what makes a rewarding career. That, right. you know, it, and I think we've both seen people or situations uh, where people have promoted out of that happiness. Right. And that's, that's tragic as well. Yeah. I've always I, always, I go back to listening to other firefighters, other fire officers that say, oh, the natural progression for me is to become a district chief or a battalion chief, or, but I'm, I'm really happy, you know, being the captain of the engine or the captain of the truck or lieutenant of the, and, and so you say, okay, yeah, well, the pay grade, the pay, the pay bump is good uh, because you still got to look out for your, you know, your future, your financial future, but they, it changes you. Right when you when you make that step, right when you when you get off the rig, when you get out of out of the company, and yeah. it, it does. And some people do it very well and become continue to be great fire officers and firefighters. And others, it's just a really it's a it's a tough tough change for them. Yeah, Tim Robinson used to say, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if he borrowed it or created it on his own, but he said the further you promote, the more often you promote in the firehouse, the more you. You know, move away from that kitchen table. The yeah. more you should oh, yeah. get used to eating alone. Yeah, no, so. it's 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 true, and and it's funny you say that because uh, I was in, I was sitting in the firehouse uh, kitchen table yesterday morning having coffee uh, with 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 the firefighters and and uh, great discussion, great camaraderie, and they're always they, they, you can always tell right. There's a white shirt present, so they you, you can always just tell that they're, 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 they've got, they're looking at you through the corner of their eye, making sure that whatever they say next is, is okay. And, and that's always, I, I know why they do it, you get it, 
but it's like I don't want him to feel, I don't want him to be that uneasy. I don't want him to I don't want him to feel that because the most important thing for me to be known as is a firefighter, right? And I don't want to be because I enjoy that that kitchen table. Some consider it to be a toxic environment, and I get it. And I know I know what they mean by that. But uh, my most comforting times in my life have been uh, apparatus floor and a back step of an engine, or or at the kitchen table uh, for for any meal. Right? That is that is the great equalizer of everybody. And and, and, and whether you're a fire chief or you're a captain or the or the proby. Going into that kitchen is, is sometimes your most, is your biggest act of bravery, right? Is to walk into a firehouse kitchen where there's a variety of firefighters there. It's a great equalizer because they don't, it doesn't matter what rank you are. You, you become a, a target and, and you've got to understand that. You've got you to suck up your ego, right? And uh, realize that this is, this is what it is. That's right, and and just to tag one other thing, you, you being you are that chief officer, and it's going to change the dynamic of the conversation. But you should not stop going in and engaging. Right. There. Absolutely not, because uh, we've seen bad things. When that stops happening, you know you lose that trust, you lose that relationship, that's and, right. and that's problematic as well. So we've mentioned a couple of books. Yeah. So. What is the book and or podcast that you find yourself recommending the most? Well, um, po I listen to a variety of different podcasts. So, and really I look and see what the topic is or who the individual is that they may be interviewing. So, um, I don't have one that I listen to all the time. I, I have uh, paid attention to, to the Getting Salty podcast. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an FDNY buff uh, only because I have friends that are in FDNY, so I have a tendency to listen to that one uh, or watch that one uh, more often. But any of them, you know, I look and see what their topic is because it's always I, I'm, I'm interested in that, especially when you when you get the West Coast uh, folks, the West Coast firefighters to the East Coast. There's always it's always good debates or not, not debates, but just different methods. So I think those are those are interesting. Books, uh, the, my bookshelf is full and. Um, uh, I would say we've already mentioned Leo. I, I'm a big fan of Leo Stapleton. I've read all of his books, but I think 30 years on the line. I know you said it was dated. It is, but the essence of what he's trying to tell as far as being a firefighter in the city of Boston, which is a great city, um, is it still holds true. No different than uh, Report from Engine Company 82. Absolutely. And that, that's another one that's, again, you know, Dennis Smith wrote back in the 60s and 70s, but right. the essence of being a firefighter in, 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 in that type of urban decay that they were going through, it's still the same, it, right? You're living in that firehouse. Maybe the, fi the, the amount of work that they're responding to may not, is different than what it was then. But those are two, you know, I always tell people to read those books. When they're brand new in the fire service, read those books. And then, again, um, I, I say have a little bit of diversity in your book catalog, right? Don't, I, I read a lot of fire service books, and I've, I've, I've a, a ton of them, right? And I could list off so many of them, you know, Harry Hearns, you know, The Fire Factory was another great one. Um, Glitter and Ash was another Dennis Smith book. But, uh, Report from 82 is, is a common one. I've read that one probably two or three times because 
it's good to go back to that. But then uh, from Brannigan's building construction book, I think is, is a must read for everybody. Fire uh, Company uh, Officer Tactics and Strategies by Norman is a, is a great one for company officers, uh, in my opinion, to read. Um, and then, uh, you know, I throw in a few other books on just general general stuff. Do you but. get into the, do you get out of the trades? Do you read business, <coughs> business books, management books, leadership books? I've read a few of those, uh, yes. Um, but again, they've got to, they've got to pique my interest. Um, and the, the uh, Navy commander. Um, it's, it's your ship. Yep, it's your ship. I've read that yep. one. Yep. But the other books are just some history books. Uh, I'm a big Dave McCullough fan. Who writes a lot of books on history, yep. which again um, just kind of give me a little bit of balance in, in that respect. But is there a question I haven't asked that you want to answer? No, I think if I was going to ask a question or have a question asked of me, you asked what I would tell a fire service lieutenant. One of the things that I think, when I look back on how to become a good fire officer or to improve yourself as a fire officer in my opinion, and it's backwards. It, it, this, the, what I'm about to say is backwards. It wouldn't work, or, or it doesn't work, is for a person to spend time as a fire chief for a period of time and then go back and be that lieutenant or captain because it will give them a better understanding of what the fire chief is going through and what the information the fire, uh, fire chief needs to be better at what they're doing. And... There were so many times where, when I was a fire chief, granted in a smaller department, it would be like, why, why is this so difficult to, to, to get this completed? Why, you know, they don't understand. And, and they don't. Until you've been in that position, you don't understand. Um, but if, if, if somebody had that opportunity to, to experience what, it would, what the fire chief needs, because um, the fire chief is an easy target. The fire chief gets blamed for everything. Sure. From the city council side of things to the firefighter side of things, the fire chief is an easy target. But until, again, it goes back to, like I said earlier, know the job and make, make sure people understand what your job is. You have a huge, uh, enormous responsibility being in that position. But if you had somebody that served in that position, they understood it. So when you ask for something, it's like, this is why he's asking for it. This is why they need it. It makes them a better officer. Or well, could potentially make them. Well, Chief, thank you for taking the time and thank joining us. Thank you for asking. I it's appreciate been, it. Uh, thank you for joining us at our kitchen table. And to continue the conversation or to send your thoughts or questions, please email us at ktcpodcast at dos.nh.gov. And you can find the Kitchen Table Conversation Podcast on Anchor or Spotify or on our website, nhfa-ems.com slash kitchen-table-conversations. I'm Scott Cathy. Thank you for joining the conversation, and we'll talk again soon.